Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you today, and I want to greet you all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Buskirk, uh, Chris, for giving the invitation for me to come. And I want to thank Jay for suggesting it. I don't know where Jay went to, but I know he nudged him probably at Angel Conference. And I'm excited to see uh, his father here, Jim Buskirk. I've known about him throughout the years and the work that he's done in the gospel. So it's always a blessing to be in the house of the Lord with those who love God. Let us go to God in prayer. Gracious and loving God, our Father, as we bow before your holy presence this day, we give you thanks. We come for no other reason but to edify and glorify your name. We ask that you would give us the courage and the strength that I would speak those words through clarity and without fear or trembling, knowing full well that you are the one that speaks through me. Bless those who listen, Lord, and open their hearts that they might receive the word that you would have for them. And we say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name be the glory. Amen. Our text today comes from Luke 19, uh, beginning at the 28th verse, and I actually have preached this sermon, I think last Sunday at Asbury, but I saw something in there that I didn't preach last week, and I thought this would be a good text to start out with today because of the opportunities that God gives each one of us, and sometimes when God shows up in our presence, we kind of forget who he is. We've come to church so often and we've been so familiarized with showing up at the church house, but we don't always recognize the presence of a holy God when he comes into the room. And that's all worship is, is recognizing that you're in the presence of a holy God. And Jesus had been working on his way towards Jerusalem and he meets Zacchaeus and we understand what Zacchaeus wanted to know how to be saved. And Jesus brought him down and he went to the house of Zacchaeus, but people didn't really like that, and that's the way we are today in our world. We sometimes don't like it when others get saved or when God does something special in someone else's life because we want all the attention, and God is not into us in that way. He loves us, but he's not about making us superior than others. Then he talks about the parable of the ten servants and how he had given these three servants as he was going away, this king, and what they did with that which he gave them. It's amazing. God has given every one of us gifts. Now, we all don't have the same gift, and some of us have more gifts than others. You know, some of us just get one gift. God has not gifted me to sing like the singers do. I can make a joyful noise. But that's about as much as you're going to want to hear about me in the singing business. But God has gifted some of us in different ways. And so these gifts are to be used for his glory, not to store away or sometimes, you know, I'm waiting for that special invitation. I'm not going because I'm not the special star. That's not how God works it. So he actually penalized the person that put the money and said, Lord, I know you were hard and you reaped where you didn't sow. And so I put it back as though God was going to go broke or something. And so he got his taken away from him. So none of us want our gifts to be taken away. 
Then we get down to the triumphant entry of Jesus. I love this story because when we grew up in a world, I used to be in the marching uh, drum and bugle corps, and so we marched in parades and we watched parades. And today all of us know about a parade. There's the Christmas parade. There's the Walt Disney parade. There's the parades that make it to the city when the teams have won. Now, I'm not good at sports, but I'm going to try it. When the football team has won the World Series, no, Super Bowl, thank you, thank you. When they won the Super Bowl, their whole town comes out at the airport and they have a big day, a big bash. When the World Series is won, that's baseball, I got that one. And when that's won, so we are used to parades, but this was a different kind of parade. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles. I don't know how y'all do it here, if you put it on the screen, but we're going to start at the 28th verse of the 19th chapter, and uh, I should be reading out of the NIV because that's probably what you use here. Let's go to God in this word that he gives us after. Uh, if you'll just stand with me and read in the reverence to God's holy word. We're going to read down through the 24th, I mean the 44th. I read pretty fast, so hopefully... I won't take you too quick here. After Jesus had said this, read with me, please. He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a coat there which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them as they were untying the coat. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it as he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. We're talking about the triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem. And this parade that we have today was really a different kind of parade. This was one of victory as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And it stirs the emotions that should not be denied. If when Jesus steps in, your emotions lose itself, you kind of relax, loosen up. You don't really try to hold on and be tight. It's kind of like the youth. They've been to camp and they're on fire. They're ready to shout and clap hands today because they've had an experience. And when you have an experience, you have to show it. If you have absolutely no emotions, then something is missing. You haven't got enough fire in your belly just yet. 
It was a moment filled with possibilities. Here comes Jesus riding in to town on a borrowed donkey. We'll get to that in just a moment. The thought of what might be exhilarated all who followed Jesus. They were excited. You know, it's just like, well, guess who's coming to town? Guess who's coming to town? They were excited. They thought in themselves, might this be the king who would deliver them from the Romans? Might this be the Messiah who would usher in the blessings of the age to come and return all of the children of God who had been scattered abroad. Might this be the one? This was the moment, they thought, on which the wheel of history would turn. Either God's kingdom would be established on earth or the people's hope would be forever shattered. They had great expectations of this king coming into town. Entrance processions were a familiar ceremony in first century. Many anointed kings and conquering generals had entered Jerusalem over the years, but never had they seen a king like this one. This triumphal entry staged on a donkey. It is a prophetic sign and an acted-out parable. In the gospel, something is always out of place. We never find it just like we thought it would be. The rich fool dies, the neighbor is a Samaritan, the publican goes down from the temple justified, and now the king enters the city riding on a borrowed donkey. And I thought about that for a minute. Jesus could have spoke and the donkey would have appeared, but he wanted to borrow the donkey because I realized Jesus said, I'm not going to need this thing forever. You know, it's not like us. We, we buy a car and we, we finance it for five, six years. Jesus said, I'm not going into that. Just get it a borrowed donkey. He rode in on a borrowed donkey, not a war horse, not a conquering king, but he came in lowly. I mean, that's something. And I thought to myself, really, Jesus, did you have to come on a donkey? Did you really have to? But look what he did. Jesus was a king, but no ordinary one. He wasn't just an ordinary king. The king of fishermen, tax collectors, Samaritans, harlots, blind men, demoniacs, and cripples. That was the king that was coming in. Those who followed Jesus were a ragtag bunch. They were not your upper echelon groups. They were just a ragtag bunch, pathetically unfit for the grand hopes that they danced in their imaginations. They were not fitting. That's a story for the church because a lot of times we go after people just like us and we forget about those on the fringes of our world and our society. We don't reach out after him. There were women who now leaped with joy. A Samaritan leper with a heart full of gratitude, a crippled woman who had been unable to stand for 18 long years with dignity. She was running around here hurting, going to all the doctors, and a blind man who followed Jesus. And listen, listen where he followed him from, all the way from Jericho. You understand? People went out of their way because Jesus showed up. And if we have had any experience with him showing up in our lives, we will bring others into the kingdom. We will not sit like, well, you know, we got a nice church if you want to come. We're so excited about what Christ has done into our lives that people will say, I want to go to your church. Where do you go to church? You ought to live out that in your life. Don't miss your opportunity to be a witness for Christ. The cloaks thrown on the road that day were not expensive garments, but tattered, 
shawls and dusty sweat-stained rags. Jesus was the king of the oppressed and the suffering. He shared their hardships, relieved their sufferings, accepted them with others, deemed them unacceptable, gave them hope, and invited God's love for them. Now they come to march with him into the holy city. They come prepared to march only a few days later, probably about three days later, on their way home, they would say to one another, but we had hoped <laughs> that he was the one to redeem Israel. Sometimes that's how we feel. We expect something big to happen because we get a new pastor, a new bishop, a new DS, a new boss, a new principal at school. We get somebody new, we think, oh, this is going to be the one, but it's not always the way it's going to be. It's not always the way we think it's going to be. It is not always the way we think in our own minds what I would like to have. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was a moment filled with fragile possibilities. What great possibilities. Their last hope was riding on that borrowed donkey. Jesus, their last hope. Oh, what might have been, and I can just hear him now, everything was just right. If only Jesus had seized the moment. You know, God could have did a little bit more. If only the people of Jerusalem had responded they should, as they should have. If only God had fulfilled the dreams of those who followed Jesus. Life is filled with moments of what might have been. Moments that where everything seems just right, but then it doesn't work out as we hoped. I remember a young lady I led to the Lord and prayed with her and walked with her for about a year. The first year she received Christ and uh, she came to church. We had a small group. She got into the small group. She was really excited. And a few months later, I didn't hear from her anymore. And I tried to call her and I tried to call her and tried to call her and I just couldn't reach her. Called her at work, called her at home and Finally, one day, I said, I'm going to try one more time, Lord, just one more time. And this time, I did get her. She had been in a horrible car wreck is why I couldn't get her. Uh, she had uh, lost some uh, memory problems. And so she told me these words. I tried God, and it didn't work. That's what these people, I tried him, but it didn't work for me. And I said, oh, yes, it did work. You could have been killed in that car. There could have been a lot worse. I mean, she looked perfectly fine to me, except for she had a little memory loss. But don't you tell me he hadn't done anything. So then I had to walk with her another whole year. You see, sometimes we expect, I get Christ, life changes, everything is roses. It doesn't always work that way. You're going to have some problems in your life. You're going to have some disappointments in your life. You're going to have some hard days. Sometimes the family's going to act a little crazy. Yeah, you come home and you're like, what's wrong with everybody? Sometimes your boss is going to act a little strange when you get to work. Sometimes even your pastor, Chris, will act a little off. Like, what's wrong with Chris today? I mean, always there's something going on in our life. But God says, I have sent you that which you needed, but they didn't understand it. It can be so hard to go on believing in God when life doesn't give us what we want. We're ready to give up. Oh, my God, we're ready to let go. But I'm going to tell you something. There is great danger in trying to chart God's path for ourselves. In other words, God, this is what I want you to do for me. I'm always amazed sometimes when I hear people pray. 
and they act as though God does not know what to do. They give God these little directions, you know, and we tell him everything. And I just be thinking to myself, don't they know he already know? He's just waiting on you to re relinquish it. Quit trying to fix it yourself. Quit trying to be in control yourself. I've tried to witness to parents have told me, my kid is, oh, they don't do it, believe in the Lord, they're doing it. I said, well, well, let me visit with them. Oh, no, I'll do it. They're afraid. See, you, you, when God is working, the rest of us have to back up. God can do more with your child than he can, you can do with them, I guarantee you. Trust God. Lay them in the hands of God. Just put them at his feet and say, Lord, I trust you. God blessed me with three children, two boys and a girl. They're all grown up now, got their own families now, and my two boys are now preaching the gospel. My daughter is avidly a worker in her church. She's a teacher. She teaches to you. Don't you tell me what God can't do. When you relinquish, and that were nice, I had to get out of the bed and get on my knees. I raised those boys in the church. I prayed for them in my belly. And I'm telling you, when they got out of line, my oldest son said to me, Mama, why can I can never get away with nothing? I said, because you're covered with prayer. You can't run. You can't hide. I mean, this is what we have to do. Our world is in a mess. Oh, maybe your household isn't in a mess, but our world around us is in a mess. Every day you pick up the newspaper, somebody's been shot, killed, or broke into. It's horrifying. But we, the church, has the power to make a difference. You and I have an opportunity to make a difference. Wherever you go, wherever you spend time, you have the power to do so. So we're not going to try to chart God's path for him. We're going to let God chart our path. God was about to do something powerful and wonderful. But that day, the disciples were not looking for a different kind of king. Their imagination anticipated a far more limited kind of kingdom. But God had a different way. It is so easy to project false images of the Lord we worship to make ourselves a king whom we can worship rather than worship the Christ as our king. We like to create things to worship. Christ is the one to worship. If you never get a drop of music in your church, you can still worship him. If the preacher never utters a word, you can still worship him because he's in the presence. And when you come before the presence of the Almighty, you can't do anything else but worship. That's it. You can't do anything else but worship. We construct cults to the God who is always on our side and looks after our interests rather than those of our adversaries or the enemies. We go around, I love Christians, they go around saying, that's mine. Oh, God is going to give me favor and I'm going to get that parking spot. And I said one day to a lady, don't you think God's got more than one of us running around here? I mean, it's just not about you all the time. It's really about what God desires to do in you and through you. We've got to get that in our mind. Quit thinking it's all about me. Oh, I'm so wonderful. It's not all about you. It's all about him. We desire a God who promises health and prosperity. That's the world today. And so we join the train of those who worship. It's false because they do not know that the kingdom of God belongs to a different kind of king. Oh, my God. You that wants to be most, you must become least. Isn't that something? Do you and I, do we yearn? 
deep in our souls for a king, for a different kind of king. The king of sinners, outcasts, the poor, the oppressed. He calls us to join the worship of the one who has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Fill the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The God who has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. The God who gives light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The God who will guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what he calls us to do. It's to be with that king, to worship that king. Not what the world offers us. The tears he shed for the approaching ruin of the city. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. And I thought about America. I'll just take a pause here. I thought about America. And I thought, God, it's time for us to start weeping for America. We're in a mess. Only the power of God is going to prevail. All of the other stuff won't work. Quit locking your hope in some president, governor, whatever. Quit locking it. Put your hope in this man, the one that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly all that we should ever ask or think. And I'm not suggesting to you, I'm not saying don't go to vote, be participants, vote. But that, let me tell you this, trust in him, the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly all that we should ever ask or think. God is really so far ahead of us. If we would just line up, we would be on target. But we keep trying to make things happen, make things happen. You don't have to make them. God's already did that. Oh, glory. Thank you. Woo. Christ shows his tender spirit by weeping. Now, I'm going to say this because uh, Dr. Verskurt, Jim is in the house. I've never read in the Bible, I'm not saying it's not there, but I've never read where Jesus laughed. But we often find him in tears. In his very place, his father David wept. And those that were with him, though he and they were men of war, yet he wept. There are cases in which it is no disparagement, I'm going to say this to the men, to, for the strong men to weep. Every now and then, something ought to break your heart that'll take you down on your knees and the tears will fall because you're crying out to God. Who is the head of the family? The man. Where has the family gone wrong? The absence of the man. And sometimes the man's in the house, but the man ain't doing nothing in the house. He's just in the house hanging around. All right? The man has to rise up and do what God has called him. Everybody else will line up. We're in a mess, church. We're in a mess, and we've got to get ourselves out of this. That Jesus Christ wept in the midst of his triumphs, wept when all about him was rejoicing, to show how little, I, I, I think about that, how little he was elevated with the applause and acclamations of the people. He still wept. Thus he would teach us to rejoice with trembling when you are elevated. When folks say all manner of good things about you, tremble because you know there's trouble in the land. There's big trouble in the land. Don't get all excited like, oh, I'm the greatest, oh, I'm the greatest. You better hold on. Because if you don't do it yourself, somebody will do it for you. He wept over Jerusalem. There were cities 
at that time to be well, but nobody needed it bad as Jerusalem at that time. They had been the holy city, the joy of the whole earth. And if it be degenerated, what hope do we have for others? That's what was going on in their day. But why did Christ weep at the sight of Jerusalem? Was it because yonder is the city in which I must be betrayed and bound up and spat upon, condemned and crucified? No, that wasn't really why he was weeping. But this is why he was weeping. He tells us here in his words, if you... Even you had only known this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment all around and against you and circle you and you have him you in on every side. He was weeping because there was they didn't know that Christ had shown up. He was the peace that they were looking for. And they didn't recognize him as the peace. And now he said, it's hidden from your eyes. Now you're going to pay the penalty. I wonder about America sometimes. What is it that we're doing? I wonder sometimes because our world is truly a mess. Now, I'm not telling you it could be worse. Yes, it could be. But the church, you and I are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the ones that should be directing the path. We are to go out into the world as light, illuminating the world so they'll come to know Jesus. Instead of us going out into the world, we're letting the world come into the church and change us. We need to be the church that God's called us to be. We need to be a peculiar people. Quit trying to be like the world. This isn't the world. We got a new king. A different kind of king. Do you know who he is? Have you missed your opportunity? Oh, I tell you, today is the day that you can make a decision. I don't know who's here. Maybe he's come and you've never invited him into your heart. You've never said, come into my life, Lord Jesus. I do not confess you as my risen Lord. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. And then you join the family of God. And then you allow him to become the Lord of your life. Let him guide and direct your path. He is able to do for you more than anybody else could ever do. I have a wonderful mother. She's 89 years old. And she's been a loving mother all of my life. But God can do what my mother can't do. I put my confidence and trust in him. Who have you placed your confidence and trust in? Could Jesus say to you, I came, but you didn't know me? I was in your midst, and you missed the opportunity. And maybe you say, well, I'm a Christian. I've already accepted him. Well, maybe you've lost the joy. Maybe you've lost that feeling of joy, that, that excitement. You don't, it doesn't radiate anymore out of you. You just kind of have to tell everybody, hey, I'm a Christian. Because they couldn't tell it by the way you live. It, it, that could be where you are. This is your time. He's shown up. He's in the room. He didn't, he didn't come in the room because I'm here. Don't get that in your head. He came because he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm where? I'm in the midst. So if you need him today in your life, say, I've never invited Christ into my heart. We welcome you to come. On behalf of Chris, we say come, an abiding harvest. If you're in this church and you kind of lost your passion for Christ, you just kind of drag in here to see what's going to happen today. Come on. Don't be afraid. He comes to welcome you. 
Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how many times would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen doth gather her brood, but you would not. Don't turn away from him. He calls you today. And say, well, okay, everybody in the room is saved. Praise the Lord. Give yourself fully to him. We can all get better. None of us are without, you know, some blemishes on us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. God bless you all.